to Fanatsu. Um, this is, yeah, sort of, um, this episode will be sort of us reestablishing, you know, the, the purpose and the importance of third-party indigenous media, um, you know, which which Fanatsu is and, and likes to promote. Um, it's crazy. Um, I mean, I'm sure, Maget, you get those, like, those uh, Facebook um, memories, uh, yes. right? Yeah, and um, I remember like a couple weeks ago, there was one, I, I'd taken a photo of uh, Becca and our friend Jesse at um, one of the uh, first general assemblies, and that was last year, <laughs> and uh, like, mind-blowing, mm-hmm. yeah, that, you know, I mean, even, even long before I became a part of this whole thing, like, uh, um, uh, the the core group was organizing and um, you know get, getting all the logistics in place and uh, forming committees and um, you know this is just the latest step in in a long uh, struggle against militarization colonization mm-hmm. um, but yeah it, it, it's a special time too because I mean uh, both of us just came back from New York mm-hmm. uh, we were there um, with the delegation uh, to the United Nations Fourth Committee. And, um, you know, all the parties are, are back on Guam uh, or in the Bay Area or Hawaii, um, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. How, how are you feeling these days? This is, uh, this is a very exciting time, a very stressful time, uh, a time where, where we're all sleeping a little bit less for a variety of reasons. But, um, yeah, one of the one of the purposes of this episode today, though, is that as as me as a historian, Manny as sort of a a, a scholar and a and a, a budding intelligentsia member, um, we're both sort of seeing uh, how things are working now, how things are sort of shifting around the island, and in particular in terms of media, and so. Um, and so one of the reasons why we're trying to kind of relaunch this podcast uh, or start like a try to formalize it more, try to um, to get it consistent and regular is because we recognize sort of the need for alternative media, that uh, sort of the, the media landscape uh, as it is, as it exists now, you can sort of characterize it in certain ways. And there's a desperate need for sort of media that supports in a positive manner sort of the indigenous voice and indigenous politics and doesn't simply sort of tokenize or treat the Chamorro people like they're just a multicultural category. And so, um, and if you're, and if you don't sort of understand the need for that, I mean, you just kind of have to look at the stuff that's on the horizon. You got to look at sort of the threats to the Chamorro land trust sort of threats to a decolonization vote. 
And it's only a matter of time then before sort of the island starts to shift even more, where people start talking about how we should celebrate more all the other cultures that are on the island, that sort of Chamorros are just one people that call this place home. We shouldn't have to learn the Chamorro language in schools. We shouldn't have to take learn about Chamorro history and culture. I mean, it's sort of the way that things are shifting. Um, what we do now will will play a big role in what happens in the next generation. Sort of, do we do we become an island where there's a strong ethics around, a strong ethics between settlers and natives, where um, where the Chamorro people are not const constantly under threat. There's not all these groups and all these people that are trying to erase them, push them aside. Do we sort of is. Do we become an island where there's a healthy respect, or do we become one where we just become another sort of depressing horror story about the march of modernity? About how, so that we join the ranks of the indigenous peoples in the Americas, elsewhere in the Pacific and in Asia, in Europe, where basically modernity chewed them up, spat them out, took their land, and then, and then cosplays as them now or something like that. And so that's why this is like a really critical time, because if you see the way that the media, in particular the print media, and of course Manny knows a lot about this, having worked at both the major print media outlets on the island, like there seems to be like a real, um, in particular from one outfit, the Guam Daily Post, there's this real resistance to sort of taking Chamorro issues seriously, engaging with them, but, but really kind of pushing for this Americanization and this sort of just diluting of the Chamorro presence in the name of American principles and ideals. And so I don't know if you want to, to talk to that, Manny, because you, you were recently released from your sort of your, your capitalist catacombs. <laughs> yeah, released or um, I, I made my way out somehow and I'm still, yeah. You know, that's funny. Um, just last night, I was uh, I was drafting like some concepts for a book idea, um, just based off of the the communism for kids. And, uh, <laughs> but um, like I'm, I'm drafting this piece, uh, uh, a creative piece, and something that you can really only do with like leisure time, really. Um, and I get an email update, and it's from uh, My Fed Loan Servicing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, uh, you know, your repayment uh, options are now available uh, to view online. And I was like, oh, fuck, great. <laughs> like, so, so, yeah, that, that was a hard um, hit by reality. And, um, like, even though I, I was lucky enough to, lucky enough to secure um, em employment, um, you know, on a private basis, uh, like, shortly after we came back, like, uh, I, I see ever more the importance of... Um, I guess, you know, in the, in the economic structure, you know, having a full-time job with benefits and mm -hmm. uh, something that allows you to repay your student loan debts because, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so there's that, right? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I left the post before, you know, it, it really came down to that. Like, I either stay with them or I'm not going to be able to go to the United Nations uh, for many people, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I felt like for my own growth, it was important for me to to leave and to experience this, and I don't regret it. Um, but yeah, 
there even long before the the trip came up there were many times uh, i'm sure you remember that i came really really close and i'm pinching my fingers right now um this close <laughs> to uh to leaving the post up uh, um for for ideological reasons um and maybe even uh um reasons of identity and uh even um me me feeling uh um, under threat as an indigenous person and uh, working there. there there was a conflict of interest for me um and it, it's 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 disheartening you know that we've come so far uh we we've we've held many general assemblies um we've uh tried to bring a decolonial discourse to to the public and um they they don't seem to be interested in engaging with that and uh and I think uh, it's it's evident in uh, the most recent poll that they put out. Mm. Um, do you or do you not support uh, a, a native only vote um, or a plebiscite? The only options there were yes, no, or I don't care. So, <laughs> you know, and we, we've come way past that. Uh, uh, we, we've held many meetings, um, many talks where we actually, we talk about the politics of restorative justice and indigenous rights and uh, why these things are so important. Mm -hmm. And um, it, I don't know, it's it's baffling. But it all sort of makes sense too, like uh, um, really quick, like we, we talk about uh, the post having this sort of like schizophrenic identity mm -hmm. crisis mm -hmm. uh, where one part, it's one part like uh, non-white settler and the other part is like old white male. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they actually have an old white male on their staff uh, via uh, Kevin Kerrigan. So it's gonna it's gonna be interesting to see. I mean, just as a as a general reference for anyone who plans on starting a, a media outlet, if you want to be taken seriously and your poll has the "I don't care" option, you're you're not taking your work seriously. You are you are playing your hand or you're you're showing your hand, whatever the, the sort of the the English phrase is. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm waiting, because you know you've you've studied this in your master's thesis. You've read up on it. Like traditionally, the media on Guam, of course, has a very national dimension to it. It, the PDN in particular, plays up sort of the Americanization of the island, sort of in its end in the six in the fifties, sixties, and I mean. Throughout the time, um, the, the throughout uh, the past couple decades, the PDN, even when it was the Guam Daily News, was all about sort of reminding people about what the Ameri what the United States is supposed to stand for, its yeah. ideals, and usually how Guam sucks or falls short of all of those things. Um, and so, I mean, if you're familiar with sort of media history, nations as we know it today highly depend on media to give them a sense of identity or coherency, right? People read, like people who live in this community read these things. They get news from this source. It has this character, it has this flavor. They think about things in this way. Media absolutely shapes those things. But it's just, to me, it's just amazing because it's like, how long is it gonna take for a outlet to basically engage seriously with decolonization? And not treat it as some of the as this sort of weird thing that they don't know how to handle. That they're not sure. It's probably anti-American. Maybe it's a little bit evil. Like, how long is it going to take? How many conversations is it going to have? How many how many conversations is it going to take? How many events? How much until finally, like one of the news outlets basically says. And and the thing is, 
that as, as I've been arguing quite frequently, you could be for decolonization in a way which, which is totally American-centric. You could basically take the position, and you should, if you, if you think the United States is a country that is worth anything, that is worth more than sort of red, white, and blue truck nuts or something like that, then you should basically say America should decolonize, and it should basically look at its colonies, and it should say, we stand for freedom, and we stand for justice and independence. What do you need to make it happen? We are not going to get in your way, because the English got in our way, and we had to fight with them, and we fought, and we helped start the United Nations. You know, we do all these things in the hope that no one else has to fight the way that we fought for our independence. So we live that lesson today. We know it's more than just a song and standing and not kneeling during a fucking song. We know that it's deeper than that. And we know there's real bedrock, hardcore principles here that we're going to take seriously. So you, the people of Guam, and in particular, the indigenous people, what do you need for us to live up to our ideals? You could totally take that position. And you could you could masturbate to bald eagles while you do it <laughs> because you love America so much. Where is that position? Why is it that the media here is just so, so like narrow-minded about all these things? Yeah. Why is it? And, and so, you know, my position is that the Post should try to counter the PDN, that the PDN sort of takes the position that like, God put us on this island to sort of make the military look good, and God put us on this island to represent the Chamber of Commerce, and God put us on this island to protect the elites, and in particular, the Americanized character of elitism on Guam. And the Post should look at that and say, well, we're going to be the subversives. We're going to not sort of buy into that. And so, I mean, that was something which happened quite a while ago when there was another newspaper, the Guam Tribune, mm. was that the the Guam Tribune was very positive in its coverage of Angel Santos and Nashon Chamorro, whereas the PDN was very negative because they basically saw, like, both saw that these are controversial, but one basically said, you know, that there's, there's something there. We should, we should maybe support them or use them to basically sell on our newspapers, but ultimately it comes out in a different character. And so that's the challenge that I'm waiting for is, like, how many, you know, how long does this issue have to go on until people grow up? Until people, until, until it stops becoming something where somebody says, oh, yes, I believe in decolonization when they're sitting in a coffee shop and then they go into their office where they help run one of the media outlets and suddenly they're like an enfeebled person with, have, with a half-functioning brain who can't put two and two together about any of these issues. Yeah, that's weird that you you mentioned that also because um, I've had uh, talks with um, with uh, colleagues in in journalism, uh, not just from the Post, but I mean um, we're talking like PDN, KUAM, uh, mainstream news outlets, um, reporters who have said in private, I guess that that they are supportive of decolonization, and in particular independence, um, but they still they feel. Um, um, they feel like it's something that they have to to hide you know like it, it's something odd it's something strange that they that they just can't bring up for for fear of losing their jobs and no one should ever feel like that especially when it comes down to what essentially is our, our survival really so it's weird but you you would also think like from a market perspective i mean like 
the Post totally would have an interest in presenting a, a counter narrative to the Pacific Daily News, but instead what we're seeing is, I don't know if it's because just because the market is so small, but they they both maintain um, this uh, this um, the status quo, a status mm-hmm. quo mentality, and um, I don't know they'll feign like um, objectivity by like uh, and and they'll they'll say like the reason why they're so hard on on local uh, government is because they want to uh, hold people accountable, um, and at the same time, yes, they're they're holding to an American standard, a national standard. Um, that's, uh, you know, you, you can't apply those same dynamics to, to a colony and especially Guam, you know? So true. So true. I mean, when we think, uh, you look at sort of, you look at the post and their approach now, and it is, as you said, it's, it's kind, it's quite schizophrenic because on the one hand, the post has put itself out there where they are spelling the word Chamorro, Chamorro with the capital C and H and the O-R-U at the end. And so on the one hand, it's like, well, that's, that's, that's cool, that's good. And then on the other hand, every time there's a tomorrow issue that comes up, whoever writes the editorials for the Post seems to really hate the tomorrow people, like in a very visceral way. Like that some of, the, some of the editorials that have come out over the past couple months around certain issues, and in particular recently over um, Senator Estevez and his decision to mm-hmm. join protesters blocking the entrance to Anderson, like, it made me wonder if sort of Dave Davis's Gollum wrote them or something. So, like, Dave Davis has his Schmeagle and he's got his Gollum and stuff, and so... Like maybe who maybe yeah maybe Dave Davis moonlights over there because some of the editorials that come out there they like there's no semblance of objectivity in sort of the discussion like you cannot you cannot dismiss a lot of the conversations and the things that are happening but oftentimes media you know because if if we look at sort of the the um, the manufacture of consent sort of those ideas media oftentimes see themselves and they don't they're not supposed to talk about it but that you are supposed to create the appearance of a dialogue while moving it in a particular direction which is better for the community mm-hmm. and so you you invis in on you in an invisible way you push out the ideals the values and the goals that you think are appropriate while pretending that you are actually this open space where where truth is invested in, truth is investigated, sort of important things are revealed. But sort of we don't see that on Guam at all, like in the media landscape. Um, but they could easily do that. I mean, if you look at sort of the, if you look at the way that the PDN responded recently to the the round table on the firing range in the Texan while we were in the States. I'm, I'm sad that I missed that because there, I love spending days surround, surrounded by people in the public hearing room of the legislature. It feels exciting to think that so many people packed into a room because they cared about a certain issue. But how many days has that room been packed with people expressing their concern about militarization and firing ranges and decolonization? And if you look at the media coverage of it, they tend to prioritize the voices of Chamber of Commerce, mm-hmm. business people, military voices. Like, I think that 
any time there is an issue in which more than 100 people pack into the legislative public hearing room, you have to treat it as a particular phenomena, and you can't simply say that this is a random occurrence, that this is trivia, that this is just something that randomly happened. It is something which is definable of the moment. It it represents the moment. It holds power as to what is happening. But the media constantly treats all of those things as if, um, yeah, some, some crazy people got together, but here is a young professional from the Chamber of Commerce who's, who says that it's, it's really important that there be as much military on the island as possible. Crazy. It's, oh, but anyways, that's, that's, what's, what's, that's what we have to really think about as we talk to, as we try to engage with media people is how do you get them to change their coordinates? Because they have, and in the past, the media was much more open about it. So if you think about in the past, like Lee Weber or uh, Joe Murphy at the PDN, they were much more upfront about why they were, why the news had to be shaped a particular way. Nowadays, you can't speak in those overt, anti-local ways. Um, you can't, you can't do that anymore. So now it's much more invisible. But you know, this the the media really has to think about what are they doing. So why is it, for example, why is it, for example, that if you're covering the buildup, why is so much cash put into the fact that opinion polls say that the majority of the people support it? Why is that an important fact? Mm -hmm. It is a fact. You can, you can put it out there. But where is the investigative side to it in which you're supposed to discuss is the buildup good for the island or not it is one thing and the the media for so many years just constantly just constantly just screwed around playing ring around the rosy playing tetherball around this point that everybody supports the buildup and and so while activists and community members are going out basically saying, actually, no, if you read what it says, it's not that great for the island. Why don't you focus on that? Yeah, yeah. And so getting the, getting the media to shift their coordinates for the, for the agendas that they set to allow a greater degree of discussion, truth, and community engagement, that would be a very important thing. Now... How do, how do you suppose we do that, though? I mean, because, like, uh, I feel like, well, I guess the post is still in this sort of, like, survival function where all they're trying to do is accrue capital and build their numbers and uh, maybe one day uh, match uh, the PDN's reach and then uh, possibly even uh, surpass them. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's where they're at right now, and I can say that with absolute uh, certainty. Um, if, if, if they rely on, on income from advertisements from Chamber of Commerce members and their, and their corporations, how can we, um, how do we go about shifting those coordinates, uh, in the, in the, uh, editorial room, you know? Like, I don't know, it, it's weird too now that I'm thinking about it because, like, the Guam Visitors Bureau, they were on this, this, like, uh, ecotourism, um, run for a while. And it seemed like they, they wanted to prioritize the environment and uh, environmental preservation. 
And uh, how can we do that when um, there are controlled demolitions that we don't hear about <laughs> until we actually hear them going off, uh, which, which just happened a couple hours ago today? And, um, you know, how, how can we justify that? How can we look towards things like environmental tourism and preservation and uh, good business um, when, <clears throat> when we're, we're still, you know, like you said, running around the same, the same loop, the same pole, you know? It's, part, of it is, part of it is really just that Guam has this really weird bipolar economic identity, right? Mm-hmm. And in a way, Guam is an incredibly lucky place because usually military base and tourist industry don't work together, Right. I mean, even a place such as Okinawa is is in that way quite fortunate, too, that Okinawa has a great deal of tourists from Japan and from elsewhere in Asia, despite the fact that it has so much military facilities. But what we find, though, is that the the facade of, of, of Sweti, the facade of luckiness, disappears quite quickly whenever there's a threat, especially if your main market is Japanese tourists. Yeah because then they vanish real fast, because then what happens is you have this weird, like your laddie house is built on two two sets of haligi and tasa, right? You've got military on one side, you've got tourism on the other, and then suddenly what seemed stable seems ridiculously unstable and frightening and scary, and one side starts to jitter and then it falls, you know, and then it can easily fall. And that's, that's what we see. I mean, it's, it's hard. Part of it is hard because one of, the, one of the most sort of malicious, insidious poisons of capitalism and privilege, sort of, especially sort of first world privilege, is the notion that you could have anything and everything, that sort of money and privilege can get you anything so that was like the the Bush administration during the Iraq the second Iraq war basically saying we're going to have a war and we're going to also cut taxes at the same time. Or the best way that you could support the war effort in Iraq and Afghanistan is to go shopping. It's like a it's sort of the the fantasy and the myth of sort of superpowers and super privilege. And so in Guam, we have the exact same thing. We imagine that as long as we're sort of patriotic to the United States, then we will have our two sets of, of laddie and are and we will totally be fine. It's not true. It's not true. And we could grapple with that existence, absolutely. But the media seems more invested in pretending that what we need to do to help ourselves is to simply trust and wave flags and love Uncle Sam and just hope and pray and then everything will be fine. That's really stupid. Like, why is, what kind of media gets, what kind of media basically feeds the public off of hope and trust in sort of systems of power rather than sort of getting people to ask basic questions about the systems of power around them? Yeah. So, and they only seem uh, interested in in, uh, questioning local systems of power, right? And like, yeah. So they, they need to be able to engage, uh, I think, on on a national level with these things. I mean, nowhere else, like, yeah, it, what, what seems to be um, filtering through, um, you know, like national media is uh, this uh, protest of uh, rampant militarization and rampant um, 
uh, construction and deforestation. All these things. These are these are all things that are um, fil filtering to to Guam via social media and other other um, uh, vehicles for for media. Um, and you know why why can't they engage with those things? Like why is it always this this conservative approach to to uh, to news and stuff? Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, you gotta you gotta think about or. I, what I would suggest for the Guam Daily Post, though, is just go super Chamorro. And you could also be super Chamorro and super Filipino and super Micronesian, but basically take the regional perspective. Like, in a way, the Post already does that in terms of the wire services, that they, they flood their paper with a lot of wire services. Like, I learn more about the world from the Post than I do from the PDN, because and I, I don't know the situation. My assumption is they don't have a lot of writers, and so they just fill it with a lot of stuff from around the world, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But the issue is you've already got a paper which is far more cosmopolitan and far more regional than the PDN has ever been. So then why are you trying to copy what the PDN does? Why are you trying to be sort of that, hey, look, we also we also really like we also really like to wear American flag underpants just like they do. See, ours look sexy. Look, we're doing the same thing. Look, I like Betsy Ross. I like American flag. I like George Washington. Like they're trying to do the exact same thing. Why don't they do something different? They're already doing it, but they can't see it. They do it for for they do it because of lack of resources. But it's like, so just take that, take that cue and basically say, we are going to be the paper that tells your story from this part of the world. We're not going to play the same game where we're going to pretend like, hey, we are just like another part of the United States, where basically the PDN often, you read the PDN and you feel like they run all their stories through somewhere in Fresno, California that it has to be this weird like perspective where it goes through the United States and then it comes back to Guam. Like, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Like, take the plunge. Go local. Go native. <laughs> That's a challenge. It's out there. So, um, yeah, you might find this interesting, but um, I had heard that uh, the PDN is actually, um, they're uh, minimizing their office. And so, I don't know if it's just like a graphic designers or um, you know other layout layout personnel. Like, those are all being um, what what's the word? Not contracted. Oh, but they're being outsourced. Outsourced or? to uh, to national offices. So instead of it being uh, handled in office, so I mean like, I don't know. That's a bad move. I think. I mean, it's already detestable as it is. But I mean. Um, the fact that people who don't have, who aren't physically present and don't have a stake really in what's going on here mm. um, are even further entrenched in the paper itself. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, I was hired in March of this year at the Post and um, I really thought I was going to get away from the whole liberator shit that, that rolls around every like June and May. And uh, but now the, the same thing happened. Um, the, the liberator uh, propaganda, you know, like um, they ran a couple of features, I think, of, of quote unquote liberators from World War Two. And yeah, I think that was like maybe the first instance where not only do I feel like, like 
feel like throwing up and like quitting, you know. See, there's there's for every sort of for every story like that, there's a, a way that you could cover it which deals with reality and isn't sort of isn't some like dumb Steven Spielberg fantasy. Like you can deal with liberators, you can celebrate them, but always always make clear that the job isn't finished. Mm-hmm. That you did you liberated from the Japanese, you did not liberate from colonialism. And the thing is that liberators have gone back and forth. Some liberators when you talk to them like that they don't like it, they get upset. Others actually have been quoted where they're like where they have taken a position publicly and said and written letters to the US Congress or the federal government saying finish what we started. Mm-hmm. There are ways that you can cover all of these issues, which it doesn't mean that you suddenly become like Angel Santos' little Duendas friend or something like that. <laughs> There's ways that you can cover it where it's real and it's even more objective, but ultimately it doesn't pretend that we are in Modesto, California. Mm-hmm. That's what I hate about like the PDN. So the PDN is really obsessed with just pretending like we are anywhere else in the United States. And I mean, part of it is, of course, that they have that thing about bringing in staff regularly through sort of the Gannett network and so on. And so it constantly feels like every time a new reporter comes in, there's like months and months where you feel like that reporter is yeah. learning everything for the first Auto time. Prepare for a typhoon. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. <Hell> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So. Anyways, this. So all of this, though, is tied to the idea that we need more critical media. We need media which is going to have tough conversations and is not going to just pretend that everything is fine as long as you hold up a flag and as long as you have your support the troops sticker on your car magnet <laughs> and that's not going to happen from the inside and certainly not right away um we're we as much as we would hope we we can't expect the the post to, to just switch up overnight and we're like kevin kerrigan you're fired gainer you're fired we want a uh, new progressive uh, young intellectual people to to take up the reins that's definitely not going to happen um so yeah it's up to to people like myself miguet and you, whoever is listening out there still, um, God, we, I, we had a good following for a while. Oh, we'll, so. we'll, we'll pick it up. Definitely. Don't worry. Because totally. that's, that's the, as long as we're consistent, mm. as long, because that's the thing is that you, um, what we organize is yeah. only part of it because we connect with desires and needs in the community. And so we had a following for a while because people really wanted it more. Because, I mean, think about it. You could, you could read through all the Post's local content or the PDN's local content in like five minutes. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, it, it takes you longer to read through the ads mm-hmm. than it does to read through their actual local stories. People are hungry for conversations about the island around them. The island, this island, which is was at the center of the world for a couple days, a few yeah. months ago. Yep. And so we can help bring that to people and we can fill it with all sorts of and, and we can connect it to other struggles and other places in the world in ways which is far more fulfilling than Definitely. 
than what the other traditional media will do. I'm sure we, we experienced a lot of points of intersection um, while we were in New York with the Puerto Rican community and um, their, their struggle with colonization now post-hurricane, you know. But yeah, so if you're, if you're already listening to this, if you're someone who already listens to podcasts, then you probably already have an interest in, in third-party media and alternative media um, and alternative perspectives. Um, you probably already recognize that there's something wrong with uh, mainstream discourse, mainstream media outlets, right? So, you know, I can't do anything, but I can't help but encourage uh, others to, to produce media as well. And, you know... I don't know. Maybe we can we can sort of nurture some sort of uh, network, and um, eventually, uh, you know, mainstream media outlets will have no choice but to reckon with our framing and our standards and how we present information. You know, instead of relying on Department of Defense uh, press releases and uh, oh, it was a controlled explosion. You know, <laughs> nothing wrong here. Like, it's true. I mean, look at. Imagine like, I don't know, like 15 years ago. Imagine 15 years ago if, if I told you that in the future, all media will be based on this one website where people type sentences no more than 144 characters. At that point, you probably would have said, that is really stupid. That can't happen. I mean... A website where the whole media universe is run by things that are said 144 characters at a time that's re- that's insane how could you do that that's the world that it is now yeah is that a platform whereby everybody can share like bites of information like pure sound bites meme ready sort of media that it then becomes something which basically now has taken over political discourse activist discourse, political discourse, all sorts of things, um, where now, like if you read, an, if so if you read like a news story like 20 years ago, like if, and it talked about how, oh, Donald Trump or the president did this and said this, it would say, um, this person responded with a statement, this person responded in an interview. Now it's all, and so-and-so tweeted, and then so-and-so tweeted, and so-and-so tweeted, and then it's even to the point now where they basically sometimes count how much something has been retweeted and liked, and that has that has uh, has relevance in terms of how weighty and important the statement is. And so, alternative media can absolutely change things, and so oftentimes you can't really know ahead of time how it's going to work, but it definitely can. And so that's one of our hopes, sort of, for these conversations right here, is that, um, is that if we keep pushing and if people sort of start having these conversations and they grow, like you said, sort of a network like that, I mean, eventually then even the mainstream media has to sort of respond to that. Mm. And, so, yeah. and so for those of you that don't know what Patreon is. Right, yeah, so... <laughs> That was that was a, a seamless segue, Miguel. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we we have this thing um, that's active right now. Um, if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's basically it's it's a, a a website and a vehicle for artists and content creators to um, basically have some form of funding outside of you know grants and um, you know just sheer luck and uh, you know. All of those things. 
So Patreon, um, there, there, there's different options there, but uh, we, we have an account active right now and uh, we've opted to, to, um, to offer like for every, for every, yeah, so patreon.com. Um, we have the account active right now. Um, for every, you, you can pledge uh, whatever amount of money you feel generous enough to give or maybe even just able to give um, within your means. But even for as little as a dollar, and I don't know, mm-hmm. um, I've tried to conceptualize this in, uh, in my own podcast, uh, Native Perspectives, uh, but like what can you actually buy with a dollar nowadays? Like, I, I said a stick of gum earlier, but uh, I don't know. Um, let me think here. Um, you can get one cookie at Subway. One cookie for at 75 Subway. 75 cents, you can get a cookie at Subway. I mean, maybe you could barter down for a McChicken. The McChicken used to be 99 cents. Now uh-huh. it's like $1.29. <laughs> or as me and the kids call it, a McMonook. Nice. McMonook. That's, that's way catchier, too. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know. That's what a subway cookie, maybe four hundred and sixty calories a month. You know, your your doctor has probably already told you you need to cut down on your sugar intake. So for one subway cookie a month, for or one subway cookie for every episode, um, you can contribute to the show. Um, we're not asking a whole lot, but um, what that will enable us to do is uh, keep continue offering. Um, great third-party content and um with this uh we can certainly be uh, more um what's the word i'm looking for more consistent uh more critical and um just out there um reactive ready to react ready to respond um like a thad uh, deployment to uh just a, a racist um conservative um you know, just hogwash that 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 floods <laughs> our our consciousness daily. So that that is our hope. That is our goal. And um, you know, we already have this community out there. And uh, you know, we want to hear from you. Um, we, we certainly appreciate you even just listening to the show and sharing it in your networks, and um, even um, you becoming a Patreon supporter. So yeah, and so just one final pitch. Um. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post it on Facebook later, but I am willing to commit to do a Chamorro language sort of podcast within Fanatsu, maybe like once a month, if I can get five people to, to donate at least a dollar an episode. Nice. So I'm going to be tagging some people, Shimpri Bay tag Hamzu. And then, because um, yeah, it, it doesn't take a lot and it, it adds up sort of the more... And then the more support that we get, sort of the more funds we can get to improve things, maybe, you know, get some microphone, get some new microphones, uh, get some some royalty, some <laughs> royalties required music. <laughs> the, these microphones have been have been beaten like to death. There's I don't know, just um, an uncleanable uh, layer of pizza grease <laughs> on these cords and uh, who knows what else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so definitely some uh, a set of new microphones definitely would not uh, hurt, you know. And uh, but yeah, uh, I'm excited about that. Um, is that just something you thought of today? I mean, like uh, yeah. tomorrow only uh, podcast. Me and uh, me and Ken Cooper had had started the idea like a year or two ago, and we recorded like 
two episodes, and it was a nerd podcast. So mm. we basically sat and we talked for like 10, 15 minutes about um, Lord of the Rings or The Hunger Games. Nice. Or at that time, uh, both me and Ken were really enjoying the show Blacklist. And so um, we we recorded ourselves, but we never released it or anything like that. Oh, man. But um, no, but I thought for this, like, perfect because um, if it's because we need more media out there, we need more Chamorro media out there. And I think I would love to accept the challenge, too, mm-hmm. is just to, to make a podcast because it, it's definitely in line with my own thinking on language revitalization. And so I have students, you know, that, that need more Chamorro things to listen to, to engage with. And so it works perfectly for me. Lovely. But yes, so all the listeners out there, if I get five people, so in the next couple of weeks, if we get just five people to donate at least a dollar an episode, then I will start uh, the Chamorro, the Fino Chamorro on a podcast for Fanatsu. Awesome. All right, guys. Uh, as always, we appreciate you. Um, stay up. Uh, I was about to say stay woke, but <laughs> I know there's a lot of people in my personal network who, who have a lot of uh, issue with that statement itself. <laughs> but yeah, we love you guys. Thank you. Dan na keke fanet dun todu i tato siha ni manyasaga gi ini na tano. Parata na let fet na idagwahan ni todu ini na senyata. Kosiki senyata fan latla maulik motna. Fanatsu, hita latmon.